It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I was just saying to my guest today, Katie, that there are many directions we can start with. As often happens with guests, we were talking for quite some time before I clicked record. And Katie, you said some really juicy things, some really beautifully said statements around authenticity was the topic. And one of them that really resonated with me was, I am mind-numbingly honest with myself. And... That is so cool because (laughs) you also said, I flex this muscle so much that I refuse not to be authentic. I feel like that must tie into your work with the numerous podcasts you have that are focused around meditation. And even that phrase mind numbing is interesting because I suppose we can look at being numb as maybe like a negative thing, but maybe we can also reframe it to think of like, it's perhaps self-protection. It's going inwards. It's tuning out the world so that we can be so focused. And that in itself is flexing a muscle, like learning how to focus on our breath and to let things go and to focus on what is important to us in that moment, even when the outside world is encouraging us to be something different. That's my interpretation, but I'm curious what these statements mean for you. Yeah, I feel like I've always been somebody who's very introspective. I can recall hearing that inner voice fairly early on in my life, and I can recall paying attention to her and listening to her fairly early on, even though I would not have had the words to describe it at that time. But it's something that I have always wanted to know. I've wanted to know myself better. The desire to do that, I think, has always been born of a desire to see how I fit in the world and what's meant for me, and how I can get the best experience I can possibly get out of this world. And as I went into teenage years, in my early 20s, it was I think it was definitely like desire to understand the pain I was experiencing, the pain of love unrequited over and over again, and body changing, and really wanting to understand this growing into adulthood, and my purpose in life, which at that age feels like so big, like you're supposed to choose what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. So I feel like this habit of self-introspection, mostly through journaling, walking, going on walks, meditation, though I didn't really understand. It was relatively new to me in those late teen years, early 20s. It's all been for a deeper desire to just, I think, be more comfortable with myself and be more words that I would use now. I couldn't describe this back then, but be more aligned with myself, be more authentic, be more capable of knowing that inner voice is exactly what my external self is. So much. And then when we were talking about this earlier, in my late 20s, I developed a really nasty eating disorder in my mid to late 20s. And in my late 20s, ended up going into recovery for it, ended up going to Overeaters Anonymous joined a 12-step program. And I can go into that a little bit more, but in relation to authenticity, what that forced me to do was to get incredibly honest with myself in a way that that was not debilitating, but was empowering even in the nastiness of it. One of the steps of the 12 steps, and I don't remember which one, it might be step four, is like taking an inventory. And at that time, I still remember, I basically wrote like this massive paper for myself. And it was this taking inventory of who I am right now in my life and my relationship with food, my relationship with body, my relationship with eyes, like all of these things, like what has it been up to this point? And what is it now? And there was a lot of ugliness there. And so I think that process, it wasn't the first time, but it was really a momentous process of being able to very truthfully shine a light on everything that I am or was at the time, 
even the ugly parts and being able to move through it and accept and love and give hugs to that woman. And so when I alluded to flexing that muscle, that was a really significant moment for me because I continued to practice that and still to this day continue to practice that, that taking inventory. What do I feel about this? What's going on in my life right now? And that mind-numbing honesty with self I think a lot of people get scared of it because they think that they're going to feel bad about those dark parts. They're going to be sh feel shame and, and a lot of negativity about those dark parts. But I feel like my experience back then taught me that those are all part of me and there's nothing to feel ashamed about. And, and so it has become like just this process of almost with no emotion attached, let's just take inventory and then let's now get connected to the truth of what I need and what's here and let's move beyond that. What have I learned from that that was really shitty? What have I that really painful moment or that the thing I did that I'm not so proud of? What have I learned from that and how can I move forward? And oh, there's shame here. Okay, let's deal with that too. Shame is not bad. Let's process that. Let's move through that. Let's learn from that so that I can better myself. So that's a really long explanation. But I think at the end of the day, it, it comes down to this. Does When you have that practice and it's a regular part of your life, there's no such thing called living inauthentically. There's just not. You cannot do that level of self-introspection and inventory taking and live in a way that is misaligned with. That was so articulate and helpful because when I'm thinking about meditation or any of the self-work that you're discussing, because this goes beyond meditation, you're sharing a lot of your journey to get where you are today and become that in touch with yourself. And meditation, I see as one of the many tools around this. I love that word inventory too. And that actually inspires me because I've always struggled with meditation personally. I really feel the benefits, but I am not someone who feels that compelled to have a regular sitting meditation practice. I don't know if it's the way my brain works. I'm on this journey right now figuring out if I have ADHD. A lot of signs are pointing to that I do. And typically with ADHD brains, it's hard to continue any habit. And it's hard to sit still. It's hard to just slow down. And yet it's probably very important. I think a lot of the things that we need can feel very hard for us. And when you're talking about building habits, flexing muscles and all of that, they feel very appealing. Part of my own shame, since you're touching upon that, is not sticking with things long-term that are good for me. And I think a lot of people struggle with that, even if they're not neurodivergent, don't have ADHD, et cetera. There's this idea around, and especially this time of year, as this episode comes out in January... <laughs> It's common for people to set all these big resolutions, have all of these ideas for self-care and struggle to stay consistent with that. So when you're talking about flexing a muscle, absolutely, like we need to continue to flex and practice and keep these habits. But what happens for someone who struggles with keeping a habit that's good for them? First of all, I want to make sure you hear that you are not the only person who has that relationship with meditation. I have that re relationship with meditation. I am not a regular every day at 5 a.m. meditator. That's, I've never been that meditator. The meditation person I've always been is has always led with sense of knowing, like a, knowing myself. And, oh, right now I feel really stressed out. I need to stop and sit down. Or, or I just had three back-to-back -back calls and this introvert needs to decompress a little bit before I go pick up my kids. I need to take five deep breaths or I need to lie on my bed, not look at a phone and just or listen to a guided meditation. Or I need to be out in nature right now. I feel really boxed in. I need to walk around. I need to not have a phone with me. I need to just be one with nature. I really, first of all, in any habit that any of us are trying to form, it's, in my humble opinion, it's really important to deconstruct perfection of it because it can look like a lot of different things. And it's really about personal progress and not perfection. That's such a cliche, but it's so true. I'm an athlete. So like my whole life, I've been very active, very athletic, always in different seasons of 
I'm a person who I need to move, I need to work out, I need to sweat. And yet there are these seasons of my life where that hasn't felt good. And that hasn't felt like what I've needed. Sometimes it's been right after I have a baby and I obviously need to relax, right? (laughs) And not move as much or not be back up on my feet doing whatever workout program when I'm five weeks later. And sometimes it's like I'm going through really heavy mental stuff and really heavy emotional stuff. And there are some people out there who exercise to deal with that. I'm the exact opposite. I can't go on a run when I'm sad or depressed or feeling low. So it's in those moments where I just need to allow imperfect forward movement to be okay. And so that's what I would really advise or just really shine a light upon for anyone who, because we all do it, it's exciting at the beginning of the year to think of all these things that you want to create for your life, right? Super exciting. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually really beautiful and very healthy. And the more you know yourself, the more you are able to create your own version of how it shows up in your life. I have a girlfriend still to this day. We were college friends. I'll be 44 by the time we're listening to this show. And so that was 20 plus years ago. And she made a New Year's resolution when we were like 19 years old that she was going to run every day. And she has run every freaking day. Yes. And maybe there might be at this point after all these years, a dozen or so days that she might not have ran. But like this woman has run every day. That ain't me. That is not me. I'm just not. I am very committed. I can I have discipline, but that's not me. It all falls back to knowing thyself so that you know who you are in relation to commitments and you know when to push yourself. You know when to trail off and release a little bit when you're just giving yourself BS excuses and to really push through those excuses and to keep going. And then you also know when to back off and to actually give yourself a break because you're about to have a mental breakdown. So that's the leader for me. But more important than here's the structure of how to approach habits that you want to create in your life. There's no one size fits all. It is about who are you? What's really important to you? What are your values? Perhaps What's really important to you at this time of year is one thing in particular that you really want to, I'm going to say master with a little bit of hesitation because we never really truly master something, but like it's valuable to us right now. It's very meaningful for us right now to really put time and energy into that one thing. If you know yourself, this is me, right? I know myself well enough to know that I can't change 12 things at once. I need to really have a deep relationship with a shifting thing in my life, like one at a time, if I'm going to hope for sustainability. And so I think that at the end of the day is how I would approach it in the sense of desiring sustainability for a habit. And that doesn't mean, at least for me, it doesn't mean every single day looking like this. Some people it does, and that's okay. That's not my level of sustainability. If I live my life by the 80-20 rule, if 80% of the time I'm doing great, then the 20% of the time that I'm not is okay. That's all good. It's so comforting to hear your perspectives on this. I think my brain tends to see something like your whole meditation network where you have all these wonderful podcasts. And I immediately think, oh, she must have meditation all figured out. And it's a bit intimidating to me. And it's so interesting to project that onto someone without knowing them. Because when I was going through your website, looking at all these beautiful podcasts and layout, I have a tendency to think that, how do I say this? Somebody is doing better or has it all figured out, I guess is just the easiest way to to phrase that. And it's ironic because that's the opposite of meditation. Meditation is about (laughs) that self-acceptance, that getting away from the external comparisons. That's the beauty of it. And I've also learned over time that meditation can be anything. I've done many different forms of traditional meditation aside from the long sits. I remember when I read Eat, Pray, Love, (laughs) there's a section in the book where Elizabeth Gilbert is falling asleep. Like she's trying not to fall asleep during a meditation. I think she was like surrounded by a a bunch of monks or something like very serious meditation. And you have to have your back straight. And when I read that book, I thought, oh my gosh, that sounds awful. (laughs) Awful and yet cool. Because you could see how pushing through the physical can give you all these benefits. However, I know myself well enough that I love the meditation where you're lying down and it's okay if you fall asleep. You're not 
getting maybe as many benefits if you fall asleep, but if it feels good and that helps you get in that relaxed state, maybe that's what you need. Maybe first you have to find out what you need physically before you can, in order to peel back the layers. And I think it goes against meditation if it's super strict and formulaic to your point of trying to do it just because it's working for someone else or trying to do it in a rigid way. If you're not somebody that thrives with that rigid way and a great example of how someone like me, I can just get really specific to myself. Last night, I was listening to your Ambient Sounds podcast. And that is a big part of my life. When I sit down to work, I love having ambient sounds or music in the background. It's so comforting. It triggers my brain in helpful ways. I'm able to get into my flow state more, stay in there longer. I feel more at ease and able to do my best. And you also have the Sleep Sounds podcast. For me, that is so helpful with sleeping, which we could see as a form of meditation too, right? Whether we're literally meditating right before we go to bed or when we wake up, but or all the subconscious stuff, maybe that qualifies as meditation when we're actually asleep. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like to describe the nine shows that I have right now, there are the two that you're alluding to are, I have three different podcasts that are just sounds. So there's no guidance on there at all. There's no voice. And those are really powerful. And those were all born out of listeners asking for more of those. But then the other six are all guided in some way. So the question becomes, what do I need it for? Like, how can I use this tool? What do I need it for? I am someone who, for many years, has listened to guided meditations to help fall asleep. So I'm not necessarily there because I want a a subconscious awakening experience, a self-aware experience. I'm not looking for more stillness in the moment or to try and slow down. I'm looking because I'm tired and I need to go to sleep and my brain is racing like crazy. Those podcasts like Sleep Sounds and Sleep Meditation for Women and Sleep Meditation for Women 3 Hours, they're all designed for that purpose. And even though I write, so I write the scripts for those, for the first two. So even though I will write some with, really poetic and really meaningful messages. There are many of the sleep meditations that I do that for. There are really powerful messages of self in there. The other half of those scripts are calm your body, relax your mind. Like I'm guiding, I'm just really talking so that you can, your brain can attach to me enough so that your body can fall asleep and then your brain can zone out. And I'm also very aware that the ones that are very meaningful and have this powerful message of whatever it is, I'm very aware that most people aren't going to actually hear that message. And that's okay. I really want to be able to give you a tool that you can use in any season of your life, at any time of the day, and any particular emotion that you're feeling. And that's the power of the network, really, is that you've got this massive library to be able to pick and choose how you want to use this tool. And each quote-unquote meditation tool works very differently. There are plenty of people who I talk to, many listeners who will take me in their ears as they're doing a walking meditation around their neighborhood or on a nature trail or whatever it is. And they're moving because they they don't want to sit down. Like they can't, that's not something that they want to do right then. So they're designed for that. They're designed to to meet you where you are and then to give you what you need at any given moment. That's such a beautiful gift. And also making it, putting the power in the listener too of deciding what they need versus, as I was talking about, the rigid side of it that might be like, no, you have to do it this way. I know what you need. I think it it connects to that authenticity of asking yourself, what do you need in this moment? And here are all your options. For someone like me, that can get a little overwhelming, but the example last night of when I was listening to the ambient sounds, I just picked one to start with and I felt it out and I thought, ooh, okay, how does this, what are these sounds doing for me? And I let it play in the background and I would notice and think, oh, that, that's a nice sound. That feels good. Or I don't like that one as much. Maybe I'll switch. And that plethora of options feels like so much abundance. I'm curious to go a bit behind the scenes because I've always loved to hear how people 
make things. So I'm curious what the journey has been like from the very first podcast you started, why you started to do another one and now up to nine of them. (laughs) What has that been like for you to build this kind of meditation? You call it a network, but it's a bit of an empire. Yeah, it's been a very interesting, but also a very conscious journey. I started the Women's Meditation Network when I found out I was pregnant with my second daughter. And the podcast that I had at the time had nothing to do with meditation. It was a women's business podcast. And I was loving it. And it was wonderfully profitable and very exciting. I really loved the work. And the moment I got pregnant, I didn't want it anymore. Like just within a heartbeat, I don't want it. And so I went on this little self-introspective journey for the next couple of weeks of what do I want to do? If that's not what I want to do, what do I want to do? The Women's Meditation Network was born in that time. And so one of the things that I really understood immediately was this could be my next evolution of work with women in the world. And not only that, but I could actually, more than just business women, which is who I was working with before, I could really get into the ears of women all over the world who are not just in business, but they're just there and having a desire to meditate, having a desire to listen to something that's going to help them calm down. And I could be in their deep consciousness. And that felt incredibly empowering. Like you put me in your ear and you're listening to what I'm saying. I'm a writer. So I felt like for me, I could write these beautiful love poems to women about how special they are, how they're extraordinary, how there's no one else in the world just like you. I could really filter all of this love as a woman. I need to hear a lot and I want to affirm in myself and really believe that other women out there really love hearing that stuff too. So these are really like deep messages of love and the writing process for me has been really fascinating and and growing in the sense that like the stuff I write now, I'm so deeply proud of as poetry. And I would not have said that about myself when I first started this. And so I say that because I got really clear, like what I write and what I say can make a difference in a woman's sense of self. It's not just that she's putting on a meditation, she's going to get calm, she's going to help fall asleep. Those are the carrots I hold in front of you. Yeah, come on, get more relaxed, fall asleep, feel more zen. But really what I really want to give you is this message that's going to hit you right between the eyes and really infuse your heart with a sense of self. If I give myself this time, if you allow me to walk you through this experience, that will open up a space of stillness in here. You're going to be able to hear this voice I know you have. And it's not my voice, it's yours. And if if you allow me and you allow me to guide you through this process, you're going to hear that voice louder and louder. And what happens when you listen to that voice? What happens when you take action on what that voice tells you? You start living a very deliberate conscious life rather than a scripted life for you. Anyways, I digress. But so I was obviously very passionate about that from the get go. And I saw immediately that it was a network because there were so many different facets that I could speak to so many kind of seasons of womanhood or experiences of emotion. There were a lot, there was just so much here and the, and no one owned the space of women in meditation back then. So I was like, well, I'm going to own it. So it's going to be a network and it's going to be big. <laughs> I say that though, I started with Meditation for Women, which is the very first and original podcast. And for two years, that was the only podcast I had. Because in that time, I then had my baby. I was tailoring back my other business. I didn't close it right away. Like I was tailoring that one down. I was building up the the meditation, the one meditation podcast, raising two kids at this point. And when my baby was a year old, it was about like two years later. So when my baby was a year old, I had just finally shut down the other podcast. I was ready to go like full force in and the numbers were rising like they were. I was getting listeners, more and more listeners, like significantly more listeners than my other show had ever received. And then COVID happened and the country shut down. And intuitively, I knew that I needed to create more. At a time when everyone was shutting down and pulling back, 
I knew I need to create more because I saw my numbers skyrocket. And it I was like, people are searching for this. People are feeling the same fear and uncertainty and anxiety that I'm feeling. So if I just write this, if I write these little calming pieces that can help them through this, because I need to hear this, then just need to give them more of this. I need to be more, I need to put more light out in a world that feels really dark right now. In response, more and more people were listening. And then the experience of growing into more than one show then was that I started looking at my analytics. We were talking before about whether we're metrics people or not. I'm very much a metrics person. I love analysis, data analysis. I love to look at my numbers. And so I saw very quickly right around that time period that eight out of my top 10 episodes were sleep-related. So I launched a sleep podcast. So let me just launch a sleep podcast. And the truth of that process was that it felt very overwhelming because here I was with a one-year-old and a, and a four-year-old at the time. And it felt really overwhelming. I'm thinking twice the podcast means twice the work. And I had to do a lot of head work to allow to sidestep that limiting belief. So I was like, oh, I probably have, let's say, I don't know, 30 episodes that are all sleep related. Let me just start that podcast with those 30. And then maybe I'll add one a month. It took three weeks for me to see that podcast was going to be the biggest podcast I had because it my number shot up right away, quickly bypassed the current podcast or the original podcast I had. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to produce more for this. <laughs> and so it was like leveling up content creation and the mindset it took to be like, okay, now instead of X amount of it, I think I was doing one episode a week for the other one, plus as many as I could at that point. And now I'm like, okay, how can I do two episodes a week for sleep meditation for women? And then eventually three episodes per week and all that sort of stuff. So then about six months later, I launched morning meditation with the exact same process, exact same analytics showing me that people are listening to morning shows, came up with that structure. A few months after that, I launched the very first, I, I launched sleep sounds. And that was, again, looking at the analytics of what people were listening to on the sleep meditation. I would just experiment with, let me do one for content purposes. I was like, I can't do any more. Let me just put one that's all sounds and I don't have to write or record. Let me see how that goes because it's valuable. And those types of episodes would shoot up the charts. And I'm like, okay, I need to have a whole separate podcast for this. And that literally is how every single podcast has come to fruition looking at the metrics, looking at the statistics, seeing what people are listening to, using my shows to experiment with all sorts of different types of content, and then being able to pull those analytics out and say, okay, great, people really love these daily affirmations that I've been experimenting with. Let me do a daily affirmations podcast. Oh, people on the sa sleep sounds, people have really been loving the water parts of this. Let me do a water and nature sounds. The more recent one that I have is healing meditation for women. I actually have somebody else who does that show. She's a Reiki master, a really beautiful friend of mine. But like people were downloading so much healing content. So it was like, okay, let's go forward with that. That has been the whole journey and will continue to be the journey. And what the primary thing for me has been is is upgrading my mindset that allows me to see all of those things as possible. And instead of saying nine podcasts means nine times the work, it's how can I do this? How can I do this? Because my girls now are four and seven. That's still really flipping young. It's a lot of mothering right now. <laughs> and so how can I do this? How can I do this? That continues to be my question. That is a phenomenal question. I'm sure I'm not the only one thinking how you do it, but that's exactly what you're asking yourself each time. And that also leads me to wondering what it's like to run something focused on healing and meditation as a business. You have your business background, so that sounds like it would have come in handy. You weren't starting from scratch because I feel like a lot of people in the healing space start off as just the healing and they don't have any business background. So then they have to figure out how to integrate it. And some people struggle when it comes to monetizing or making something a business that is centered around health, wellness, healing. Has that ever come up for you? How have you just worked through those two things that kind of feel a bit separate? I don't see them as separate at all. And as a matter of fact, I actually really celebrate the fact that I have both of those things in me fairly strongly in that I understand that that's a huge benefit that I have that sort of gives me a leg up in this industry. 
And I'm very proud of that. So part of this might be that I don't consider myself a meditation expert or a healer. I don't think I really consider myself a healer from the vantage point of someone who has studied and has gone to like the Buddhist school of meditation, like I, or the transcendental, I don't have an expertise in any particular school of meditation. So I feel like that is not so much a part of my identity. I identify as a writer and as a creator and as a businesswoman. And I think I just happen to stumble upon or really create from scratch this really beautiful way that I can write. And I just happen to package it in a meditation. And the meditation itself is the delivery method is just because I've been a meditator. I've been a consumer of meditation for a long time. So that was the carrying vehicle. Okay, yeah, I know how meditation works. I know my experience. I know the experience I want someone else to have. The differentiation is that I don't identify as a healer. I identify as a creator, as a writer, as somebody who wants her words to hit the heart of the person reading slash listening. So in that, this business head of mine, and I cannot take all the credit. My husband is very much a part of my business. He is the head of marketing and growth. And so this dance that we have done all of these years together has been the best of him, the best of his gifts, and the best of my gifts for this business. If I were doing this and he was not a part of it, it would not be the size that it is now. If he were doing this and I were not a part of it, it would not exist. So, but the dance that we do together that is not perfect and often very not pretty, but ultimately is incredibly special and beautiful and unique. The dance that we do together to create this, it feels so fun. And for me, business, and I believe me, this has been a long journey of me learning this business is a giant game. And so having that attitude, allows me to pair it with this product is my writing wrapped in a meditation delivered through an mp3 file into your ears, right? That is my product. And so that product, because I am a woman who wants to put love and light out in the world, like that is a big desire of mine, that is force that infuses this product, right? And so my job as this businesswoman is just to see how many of these products I can get out in there into the world. And that's a really fun game because I have the right product. I have this creative expression that helps create this right product. And I have this business mind and between my husband and I, this business team who just gets to play. Let's see how else we could do this. And I feel incredibly fortunate that we have been very conscious about the very deliberate business growth from the get-go. Like there was no such thing called, oh, should this thing make money? No, we're a business. Our job as a business is to make a profit so that we can continue to offer what we offer. And I, believe me, I definitely, like my past life before this went through those, the pain of learning those lessons. So a lot of the prior business experience me to show up to this business in a very holistic business-minded way. So I see it as this incredibly beautiful dance of managing my time so I get that creative writing time. But that's actually a small portion these days. And that's okay. It's I now have writers for most of the other shows, or I have people who are the content creators over there. And I have had a lot of fun coming into this part of the business where I'm like the CEO of this empire, right? And it's fun to talk about what shows are we launching? What's the marketing schedule? What's the growth schedule? What is the internal marketing that we're going to be doing here? What do we need to do to be able to bring on new partnerships and possibly even acquire other shows? Who do we know who can... My team is growing. I have a full-time operations manager or really executive producer and then have another team member coming on here in the next couple of months full-time. So I have a lot of contractors. That to me is a really fun game. It would have scared me four and a half years ago when I first started, but it's it's been small little steps of practicing that and finding out, oh, I really love this organizational part of it. Oh, I love the, like, the operations and making things efficient. Oh, I love these little tools, right? And oh, I'm really good with working with these contractors. So it's been a lot of this, again, just like tippy-toeing into what it takes to run this system. And the best part is that I am ridiculously proud of this product that we create.
So I still write and write for meditation for women and sleep meditation for women. And then I still voice over for morning meditation for women. So my voice is still out there. I still get this sort of sense of creation, but I am definitely in the space of there are other people's prints on these. And so there's a lot of intention into who those people are what love they're pouring through in their voice, the writers that I have. I am very into, I'm very proactive about training the writers to write in a certain way that convey a certain message that is important. Again, I think it's like this, it just feels like this beautiful dance of the right product, the right time, the right need that's out there, and the right sense of business that all come together to do this really beautiful dance that is a giant game for me. Thank you for going so into detail about all of that. It's really fascinating. I can feel your passion and enthusiasm coming through. And I think it's so helpful as you started speaking about, because it's in this world that we're in right now with so much content and also so much need for specific types of content. People just want to be able to find things quickly and get what they want. As we talked about earlier, having different options to figure out what works well for them and get more of what they want. And the fact that you're so committed to the metrics and the analytics and understanding like what are people paying attention to? What might they want more of? Experimenting with all of that, bringing on the abundance, really, that's what it feels like. You're giving people an abundance. You're getting an abundance back from them to keep it sustainable and accessible too. That's one of the greatest gifts of your work is you can go on and find so much quickly. And I feel like that's a big part of access. The last thing somebody wants to do is struggle to find something that they need, especially if they're just trying to go to sleep. And the fact that you offer so much to help with people sleep is such a gift because I forget what the metrics are. I want to say like 80% of people, I could be wrong, but maybe metrics wise, 80% of people I'm going to guess struggle with sleep. It's some high number like that. And to be able to just do a quick search, find a show like yours is wonderful. But in order to get yourself in those search results, in order to create all this, you need to have these systems in place that you're outlining. So it all makes sense. Just so much of the health and wellness world, I think people get caught up in their concerns about capitalism, which I absolutely understand. We have a lot of issues with that, but we can't just jump to think that because somebody's making money from something that makes something that they're doing bad. So I'm glad that you brought that up because you can't continue to offer things over and over again if you're not taking care of your basic needs too. And finances are so tied to all of that. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. I feel like I'm not going to pretend that I don't want to make a profit. And I'm not actually going to diminish that by saying, oh, I, I just have to make enough just to get by. No, I built this very intentionally because it was a model. I saw it that it was a model for true financial freedom, which to me means I am building a model to cr generate revenue in my life that works when I am not working and or gives be, is able to pay my bills and then some. And then beyond. So I'm very, I don't know if you want to call it capitalistic, but like I am very focused on the profitability of this company. And I am not ashamed of that. And, and I'm doing it. You've ever heard sales equals service. And like to me, the more money this company makes, the more I can create, the more of these beautiful products, these little pieces of light I can put out into the world, the more people that I can employ and provide revenue for them. The more, it's just abundant. It's like the more money the company makes, the more money it can put out there, the more light it can create. And I don't find anything wrong with that. And money doesn't make a person. Money accentuates who a person is. I am someone who is incredibly generous. I am incredibly giving. I love having experiences. I love sharing with people. I have been 
in seasons of my life that I call the peanut butter and jelly years because that's what I had a budget to eat all the time. Those were the very early years of me and my husband being together, okay? Like we had a startup back then and I have been in those shoes of like, how many more days or months do I, of cash do I have to be able to pay mortgage? Like I've been there. Can we pay this person next week? I don't know. What loan do we need to take out to keep the doors open next week? And so I feel like I have, I can speak to the humility of that And the lesson I had to learn in money was that I'm not a bad person if I make money. I'm a good person, period. End of sentence. Without money, I'm a good person. With money, I'm a good person. And I like to think that the more people who are good people, who are creating profits, creating revenue, the only way you can create a profit is if you are providing something that's valuable to the person who is paying for it, right? And so I've been able to create this beautiful little system that is valuable for a lot of people to the end user, to the woman listening, and to the sponsors who have really awesome freaking products that want to get in front of those ears. And guess what? If you don't want to listen to those ads, it's okay. Fast forward past it. It's all good. Or purchase a premium membership where you don't have to listen to ads, right? We're all mature consumers at this point. In that conversation, I feel like I will not shy away from the fact that I built this for the intention of financial freedom and with the intention that my goal will always be more profitability because profitability means more for everyone. And that feels really good. I saw this thing on Instagram the other day. I don't know who it was, but it was this little reel share. And the guy was talking about, like, I used to want to be rich. And then I became rich. And I actually discovered that I make other people rich. And holy cow, that felt good. And so I'm in a situation, the very first full-time hire that I made this year was my sister. Now, I would have hired her whether she were my sister or not. But the depth of fulfillment that I feel what I've created and now what she is a part of contribute to my sister and her family and her livelihood, that feels amazing. And the the contractors that work with me that I have a handful of producers who are, I'm a significant client for them. That feels really good. So I'm, I am like on board with this dance of profitability for the sake of abundance because more is good. More is good for everyone. Wow. At the very beginning, we're talking about like being clear about who you are and what you want. That is what I'm feeling as you're speaking, because I think as a woman too, especially your show is targeting women and people who identify as women. As you say, I love that inclusive language, by the way, who historically have struggled so much with worth. We still live in a time where women generally make less money. We live in a time where women have a lot of shame. And all genders, non-binary, whatever, every human being in general gets a lot of mixed messaging about money and when you should make it, how much you should make, all of this And it's tough to navigate because there are a lot of people struggling. There's a lot of disparities. There's a lot of issues with money. And so money actually has to become part of our well-being. I bet you that, and I'm curious if you have any data around this, but I imagine a lot of people that meditate are meditating as a result of all these stressors in their life, finances being one of the top stresses that people face. I know from my background of the tension, the shame, the concern, like the peanut butter and jelly years, as you mentioned, like most people have been through that. A lot of people are still in it. There's probably listeners to my podcast in this moment that are in a peanut butter and jelly stage and there's nothing wrong with it. But the stress, the shame, the tough emotions that come from writing that out, they may turn to meditation to soothe them through that. So you're providing comfort and you're also speaking confidently as someone that says there's nothing wrong with making money. And actually, that can really help you in so many amazing ways. And the ripple effect you mentioned of helping other people is so beautiful. It's all connected, as you said. And I wish that more people could reduce the shame around not having money as well as reducing the shame of having it and making it. Yeah. Especially if it's connected to something of value, like you mentioned, which is so important. 
I learned really early on in business that you really have to pr- be providing value in order to make money. It was this, it's this energy exchange, right? So I can't make money if I'm not giving you something that's valuable to you. So you learn really quickly as an entrepreneur, okay, what can I create that's valuable, right? And you have to deliver on that because if you don't, then you don't continue to make money. And I don't want to sit here and pretend that I have this perfect relationship with money mindset. Like it is a a constant dance with me. I have come a long way, most definitely. Believe me, I still feel the stressors of not enough. I still feel the stressors of where's the cash flow. And although the zeros might look different now than they did back in my peanut butter and jelly years, I'm also very aware, like at any given moment, this could be gone. Like at any given moment, I could be in the state in the situation where I'm looking again at, okay, what credit cards do I need to open so that I can save my cash for next month's mortgage payment? Like I'm very aware of that. And so there's this, it is a practice to dance with the attachment and desire to actually be unattached to money. And also this desire to to play with it. It's a very intricate, very complicated dance. And and I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly learning it. I'm, and I really don't want to give the impression that, oh my gosh, I've got mountains of money, so I don't have to worry about anything. That's not where I am either. Like it's, I am still with my hands in my fingertips in the grains of sand of the finances and the business and making sure that things are moving because growth takes in money invest, investing in the company, right? And don't have it all figured out. But I feel like I know who I am in relation to money. And I know when money stuff, negative money stuff is coming up. And I know when I need to shift thinking about things. I know when there's a limiting belief. I know that my ability to make X amount of dollars and to have X amount of a reach is 100% in my head, 100% in my head. It is all about what I think is possible. You want to talk about we as women feeling our worth. It is, wow, am I worthy of this? Who am I to have to run this empire, as you say, of nine podcasts and the financial impact that that has, the listening impact that that has, the X amount of downloads that that means, right? Who am I to be doing this? And it, it takes an interesting coming into myself to constantly really deconstruct that and say, oh, am I hitting a plateau because there's something inside of me that says I'm not worth it? Or I'll be bad. I'm not okay. There's something wrong with me if I make too much money. Because what does that mean? If I have too much money, my family that I grew up in is not entrepreneurial, very lower middle class income. So there's definitely some interesting things there that I'm aware of. And it is a constant knowing of self or coming back to this theme of knowing yourself, right? It is a constant search inside for who I am in any given moment in relation to money and growth and impact. And knowing that's all internal, it is all internal. And that speaks so much to this theme of meditation being that internal process. And the full circle of all of this is so there in everything that you're saying and the limiting beliefs that people struggle with that there's a lot for us. We were talking about inventory in the beginning, like just taking inventory of all these feelings and trying your best not to feel judgment towards them, I think is the big practice of meditation. It's you're figuring out what you need, what does that look like, and developing that for yourself, not based on how other people are doing it. I'm curious as we as we've been touching upon so much elements of the business side of it and also obstacles, we're talking about a lot about internal obstacles, external obstacles. I'm curious what you faced. You've developed so much. You've had a lot of success. Have there been naysayers, like people in terms of, is there like competition in the meditation podcast world? And are there people that are discouraging? Or I feel that a lot, like in the health and wellness world, all these years I've been creating content, like you find your people, you find people that are so excited in alignment, But there's also a lot of competition. There's a lot of people like wanting to stand out. There's people that sometimes you might feel like they're using you to get ahead or there's people that don't want you to succeed. And so they're really discouraging. Have you faced that? And are there a lot of meditation podcasts? I'm not even aware. Yes and no. In the old podcast that I had in the business entrepreneurship space, that was incredibly abundant. And more importantly than that, like the competition. Oh my gosh. When I first started that podcast, I was one of three 
podcast that existed that was hosted by a woman and was interviewing women entrepreneurs. So like very small niche, but damn did that grow. It exploded that niche. And so I constantly felt that sense of comparison, that sense of I'm not as good as this one. And what do I need to do to stand out? And at moments, in my worst moments, very unappreciative of the small niche community I did have because I was so focused on what I could have and what I should have, right? So that definitely existed. When when I transitioned into Women's Meditation Network, first of all, I definitely had people I love, I trust, I highly respect tell me, what the hell are you doing going from a business podcast to a meditation podcast? Who are you? You don't meditate. Like You're not a meditation person. And in the kindest of ways, many of them were just like, this is the stupidest business decision you could make, right? And I'm that you already have this thing that's working. Go deeper with that. And I'm like, that sounds like the smart idea, but that's actually not what I need to do. You talk about listening to intuition and knowing self, right? That was a really powerful transition for me of having to get very clear on what I knew I wanted so that I was powerful enough to hear the naysayers because there were many and deflect that and know I don't care how successful you are. I don't care how knowledgeable you are. I don't care how much I love you. I know what I'm doing. And even though I'm fucking terrified, (laughs) I'm terrified. And there's a lot of imposter syndrome because who am I to do a meditation for people? So even though all that existed, there was a deep knowing and a complete lack of fear. Like I, d- I had the normal fears of, oh my gosh, is this going to fall flat on its butt? Or, oh my gosh, people are going to hate my voice. But like, there was no real fear. The I knew, like it was completely void of that real fear. Go. It was like universe like cleared out the way. Like, go, Katie, go. So I definitely had those naysayers from the podcasting or business perspective of who are you to transition here? Like that, no, that's stupid. And, and then along the way... I've definitely had naysayers, a very interesting piece of feedback that I get, or I guess pushback that I get, is men who hate the I get a lot of hate email, a lot of hate messages of being just for women. <laughs> and at first, I started arguing back and forth. It's called a niche. Hello. And it didn't exist before in the podcast space. So I'm going to fill it, right? It's a smart, it's like a black and white business decision. But I realized very early on, like it does me no good to make that argument and to try and sway people into my camp. Because if you're angry that I'm just for women and therefore exclusive and I don't love men and I'm going to exclude men and anyone who doesn't identify as a woman, like that's your prerogative. It's okay. That's not why I'm here. That's not the energy that's leading me. That's not the energy I'm putting out into the world. But if you want to think that, it's all good. Like, I'm not going to change your mind. External pushback, that's really been the extent of it. I also have an unwillingness to swim in the other competitors in the arena because actually it's an interesting relationship. So number one, I actually do a lot of cross promotions with some of the other sleep shows specifically, but some other meditation shows as well. We're of the same size. And so we'll be like, I'm very much an abundant thinker. Like, I really believe someone who listens to a sleep podcast, my sleep podcast would probably listen to another sleep podcast because I'm a person who listens of sleep meditations and I like a variety. So we do, I have a probably about a dozen or so fellow meditation people that we're constantly doing cross promo swaps or episode drops and just to help build our listenership, which is amazing, right? So I do, I will absolutely swim in those waters. The waters I refuse to swim in are this space is is saturated. People are coming into my space and she's bigger than I am or that one's bigger than I am. Only because I have learned through doing that before, that doesn't get me anywhere. So anything that, that nurtures a sense of doubt for, in myself and what I'm doing, anything that nurtures a sense of not good enough, that I will absolutely put a kibosh on and I won't even step into those conversations because not good enough is like this foundational issue that I have that I've constantly worked through my entire life. I feel it less now than I ever have in my life. And it still comes up. So I'm very unwilling to to voluntarily swim in that water because it doesn't do me any good. It only keeps me from doing what I'm supposed to be doing here. I don't care what's going on in the meditation space. I leave that up to my husband to know what's going on in the market and then talk about delegating. I don't want to see it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't feel any sense of negativity towards any of those folks who are doing really well. Like it is mostly about the more amounts of light that can get out to this world, the better. We are brothers in arms and we are like 
soldiers and bringing all of this light and love out into the world, helping people sleep or bringing more opportunities for stillness and consciousness. That's a beautiful thing. I feel privileged to be a part of that. And I'm going to have a lot of flipping fun trying to be the brightest one out there. Wow. Katie, there's so many directions I could go with you, but that last statement feels like a wonderful note to end on because who'd be in a bright light whatever that means for you. That feels like the theme here, this exploration of knowing yourself and knowing what to nurture and acknowledging the things that you may always struggle with too. I think that was one of the biggest things I learned about meditation. It's, It's not about fixing yourself. And you also mentioned like personal progress over perfection. That's such a great lesson too, because Many of us will struggle with the same things throughout our whole life and they'll never be fully resolved. You you touched upon the eating disorder history and which is something I've struggled with too. And I, I would use phrases like I used to have. And then over time I realized, no, that stuff is still there. I'll probably always struggle with eating. I'll always struggle with some level of shame. The not enoughness comes up for me too. I think so many of us struggle with that. And it's not about getting rid of it. And I think also if you can switch your relationship with something like meditation to not trying to solve and fix something, but just addressing it, taking that inventory, which just really sticks out as one of your pieces of wisdom here today of taking inventory without judgment in an effort to get to know yourself better, to get that clarity so that you can proceed in the world with that authenticity as much as possible. And not striving for that perfection, but that personal progress. I love those lessons so much, Katie. And your wisdom from a business standpoint is so valuable too. It's not something that I cover a ton on this show. And I love dipping into it because it's such a big passion for me. Like the way that business and work are tied into our well-being and the finances we discussed today. You just you covered so much ground, Katie. It's been a privilege to speak with you and to hear your about your journey. Whitney, you are awesome. This has been an amazing conversation. And I'm sure most of your guests say this. This is These are not stories I often get to tell or areas that I really get to discuss so often. And it's incredibly refreshing because these, I feel, are very real. And this is, I don't want to call it behind the scenes, but this is what it means to be the human called Katie, right? And there's a lot of those stories. We all have those stories. And and I appreciate the ability to actually like share that stuff because we're all so intricate and complicated and full of every single color you can imagine. And I think the beauty of the podcast that you have here is that you get to share all of those colors with with the listeners, with every one of your guests. So I feel very honored to be here. I appreciate that feedback so much. And also recognizing that this is the first episode that I've re- or with a guest that I've released in 2023. And it just feels like such a great note to start on in this new year because people are thinking about all these different elements of their well-being, including their finances. That might be top of mind for people. So to come into something like that that I didn't even expect was so great, Katie. And I'm going to put in the show notes for this episode a link to not only Katie's podcast network, but also your social media. Because as of the time of this recording or release of this recording, you have a special giveaway going on. I try to keep things very evergreen on the show. So this list, a listener may be listening many months or even years beyond when this episode comes out. So the link will be there to just check and see what's going on with Katie, what offers she has, what new shows she might have added since we recorded this. But perhaps just a quick non-evergreen shout out, Katie, to what's going on in January 2023 for you, because it's a great way to get introduced to all the work that you're doing and get something back speaking of value. Yeah. So this is my way to shower you with gifts, basically. So in 2023, in January and part of February, we are doing a more love in 2023 giveaway, more love in the new year. And all throughout the month of January and half of the month of February, you can enter to win one of 10 different gift baskets that we have that are filled with over $300 of the best health and wellness products, some of my favorites and no cost to you. 
And all you have to do to enter to win is to go to whatever podcast player you're listening to right now, go type in meditation for women in the search, go see all of the different shows that we have, subscribe, listen to any one or more of them. Then head on over to Apple Podcasts, write an honest rating and review, and then go screenshot that review, share it on social media, tag Women's Meditation Network, and you're officially entered. And on February 14th, because more love in 2023, we are announcing the winners and giving the 10 baskets away. That is just so exciting. <laughs> I love giveaways. Like, who doesn't? enjoy the opportunity to get something like that. And we were talking about how we were connected through our friend, Allison Melody, who's been a big part of my life personally and professionally through her podcast, Food Heals, and the support and the brainstorming around things like that. Even if it's beyond the giveaway date, A, knowing that you'll likely have another opportunity in doing something like this later on, but also just the business strategy of it all is so cool to to offer people something of value and to get them more engaged. I think it's a great example that Allison has spearheaded and I'm so excited to see the results and who wins. So maybe somebody listening to this show, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> Thank you for that abundance, Katie, and that beautiful offering. For the listener, I will link to that so that it's easy for you to enter. That'll all be in two places. So the condensed version of that with the links is going to be right underneath the podcast player in the description. So you can go quickly click that link and go figure out those details, go listen to some of these podcast episodes. And then there's a whole expanded version of that on my website, elevator.com, W-E-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, where there's a blog post style transcript from this episode with all the quotes and the resources, all the details that you might want to geek out over. If you want to copy and paste or even share something from this episode, it's there to make it simple for you. So thank you for the listener for being part of this beautiful conversation. Thank you, Katie, for sharing so many perspectives and wisdom and doing that from a place of effortlessness. I know there's so much effort that you put into your work, but you're in a place where you can speak on this so smoothly. It's been a beautiful conversation to share with you. And again, I'm very grateful to have had you here. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.